Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. We need a prayer going on like we have never needed in, in my lifetime that's as tangible. I know we have always needed it. Um, we've always needed to experience the power of God's presence with us. And uh, but we, we, we need to gather as God's people to pray. In fact, um, this Thursday it's, uh, is the National Day of Prayer. And we had plans that had to be changed. We were having a, a luncheon up here, and it was supposed to be just a great time in the Lord. We've done that before on the National Day of Prayer and have some, some guest speakers in. But we've had to change our plans. We're going to be live streaming uh, that service uh, at noon this coming Thursday. Uh, May the 7th, and I hope you'll join us for that. Uh, we have some special guests that are coming. Dr. Dondi Costin, who is the president of Charleston Southern University, will be here. Rob Fowler with Channel 2 News. Uh, Craig Tuck, who's the director of missions for the Charleston Baptist Association, will be here. Um, Dr. Bob Hetz, along with his wife, Judy. Uh, Dr. Bob Hetz will be helping us think about uh, those kind of on the front lines and praying for them. And, and his wife, Judy, is also an uh, owner of a small business. She'll be coming to lead us in prayer for business owners. There'll be a, a other special guests, so I hope you'll make plans to, to join us um, this Thursday at, at noon as we live stream on our YouTube channel. Also, uh, today we have a very special gift for you, our River Bluff family, and I, I hope you receive it uh, that way. Cindy Shirley uh, is on our staff, and she's been kind of running point on this. Uh, Dean Enfinger's been helping tons with this, but Cindy couldn't be here today. Uh, she had to travel down to Tampa, Florida. There was a death in her family. Uh, her nephew, Jeremy, and his wife, Abby, uh, had a stillborn child uh, this past week, and so pray for them. Uh, pray for Cindy as she's traveling, and pray pray for that family. But because of uh, the miracle of modern video equipment, we were able to uh, kind of do the interview via video uh, so that Cindy could be involved in the announcement. So I want you to, if you would, watch this particular video, and I hope you enjoy the gift. I'm here today with Cindy Shirley. Cindy uh, is the director of the Discipleship Counseling Center here at River Bluff Church, but she also functions uh, in another role, and that is she gives oversight to small group life uh, here at River Bluff. We call that connections, and uh, so she she does that. We're we're excited to get to announce to you about a free gift that's being made available to uh, every member and regular attender, uh, anyone really connected to River Bluff Church and its ministries. We're really grateful for this opportunity because we believe it's going to really uh, make a difference in your life. We think it's going to kind of equip you to grow in your faith. I uh, think it's going to help you be satisfied in the journey that God has you on and in the place you are right now. But we also believe it's going to uh, equip you to be on mission with God in the places he's planted you. And this, this has been in the works for a while. And Cindy's been working kind of as the tip of the spear on this journey. And uh, so, Cindy, tell us, what, tell us what the grand prize is for today. All right, your grand prize is the Netflix of discipleship. Amen. So what we're doing today is we're launching the use of Right Now Media for all River Bluff Church members and attenders, including all adults and teenagers over the age of 13. So through Right Now Media, everybody will get an invitation 
they'll be able to go in, log in, and have their own account. They can pick, just like Netflix, you can pick your own Bible studies that you wanna do. You can pick things that you wanna do with your family. They have videos and they have also studies and study notes that are available for some of the videos for free. And our hope with all of this is that not only will we give an opportunity for our members to have access to some really great resources that we otherwise couldn't afford to have available for them, but that we'll have an opportunity to utilize these resources to both reach other people in the community, maybe even to reach some people that wouldn't normally come to church, and to form some groups uh, in the digital world uh, during this time that hopefully can have some access to some great resources that we wouldn't other be, otherwise be able to have. Now, I think that we've also got some new online groups, uh, digital groups, virtual groups, whatever we want to call those, that are ready to launch this coming week. So folks can actually, we'll, we'll send out some information about that. Some of them are going to be using some of the Right Now media. One of the things that I think is really cool about this is that even in this kind of lockdown um, state that we're in right now, the opportunity for some for for groups uh, to to view this uh, in their homes first, watch the maybe the small group video, and then you know come online on a Zoom meeting or WebEx or something like that, and uh, and discuss it. Seems like that's going to be a great opportunity right in the present moment. Yeah, it's awesome, and we're so excited that God chose this time for us to be on lockdown, but also for us to have access to Right Now Media. We've been planning it throughout the year. This gives us the opportunity to start new groups. And so in the next week or two, you will see notifications for three groups that are starting at three different times, covering three different topics, all of them using Right Now Media. And our hope is really that we want to create connection and that there is some connection that comes from watching a video together. And so fortunately, we have the opportunity because these videos are available to us to watch it all together using Zoom or WebEx by sharing the video. And then as we watch it, if we have comments or we have thoughts or we want to ask questions, we can. But also afterwards, we'll all be together having gone through the same experience and be able to go through questions and dig deeper and do some Bible study together. Um, the other part is that those videos will be available to you 24-7, 365. And so if you can't make one of the group sessions, you can still watch the video. Or you could go out and look at other topics or other supporting information and talk with your group about it as well. I, I want to I say something to those of you who are introverts like me. Uh, one of the great uh, concerns that I have for us is that, you know, we love to take in information and kind of do it, take our journey alone. And I, I want to say this, this is called call a pastoral concern, uh, care, and uh, hopefully a blessing is this. Six months from now, if you're using Right Now Media and only doing it alone, it probably is going to end up stunting your spiritual growth. Because remember, our spiritual growth is about loving one another and loving God. And we're, we're to do that in a community. So I want to encourage you, don't, don't get stuck in this by yourself. Make sure you, you see pathways to take the, take the journey, uh, this journey together. Cindy, anything else? Uh, I think there, something's going to happen right at 1 o'clock this afternoon. Is that correct? Yes, at 1 o'clock this afternoon, we're going to launch emails to everybody whose email address we have with River Bluff Church, members, attenders, even some of our 
first or second time attenders. And you're going to get a personal invitation to set up your account to join Right Now Media. Doesn't cost you anything, takes about three minutes, and then you can go in and explore. And hey, let me add one more thing to what you said. One of the great things about Right Now Media is that in this season, when I know there's a lot of parents who want to do extra stuff, they're watching the videos that Michelle and the River Kids teams are doing, but they want to do other stuff together as a family. Right Now Media has great access to videos and cartoonish videos and teaching for kids of all ages. So go ahead and access those resources, utilize them now, um, do some spiritual growth with your family, reach out to your neighborhood because there's great opportunities. There are some series that are just one or two short videos that you could sit down with somebody even on Zoom and say, hey, I wanna share this information to you. We haven't gotten to talk recently, but here's something I want you to, to hear about. So take the opportunity for this to happen and we're so glad that we're all going to be connected through Right Now Media. That's right. And so if today, after 1 o'clock, you haven't seen an email coming uh, from Right Now Media uh, and our church, we, we want you to do a couple of things. Check your spam folder. Uh, make sure it didn't end up there. And uh, it may be that we don't have a, a, the best email address on you. So if you don't get that today, please uh, contact the church office so we can uh, get you uh, this free gift. It's going to be a great blessing to uh, our church, to your family, and your household, and hopefully many, many others. And uh, again, we're grateful uh, that the Lord is delivering this in this unique season. His timing is always perfect. And we look forward to serving you uh, in the days ahead as we grow in Christ together. God bless you. Well, I hope you have received that as good news. Uh, because I, I, I think of it as good news. And I got some more good news uh, this past week. Uh, some of you know that uh, our daughter is pregnant with our, our third grandchild, and it's a girl. That's not the, the good news. I told you that I've been praying, and as I pray for people, I like to use their names. Well, they didn't have a name yet, and so I was just praying for E3 because we knew that they were probably going to begin the name uh, with an E, but I, they have a name. They gave it to us this week. Her, her little name or her, the name of the little one is Emma Kate. I guess it's not really a, a, a little name, but I, I get to be praying now by name for, for Emma Kate, and that's good news to me. I, I, I enjoy uh, getting to do that and think about that, and I th just thinking about the day, you know, that in the not-too-distant future in July when she's, she's going to be born. It's going to be a great day. Now, births are not, you know, uh, in and of themselves always, you know, dramatic, but a, a lot of times they are. Th throughout history, there have been many births that have just beat the odds, one example is a couple in Michigan. It's Barbara and Chad Sopper. They, they had three children born in three consecutive years, 2008, 2009, 2010. Now, there's nothing miraculous or unusual about that, but the day their kids were born are kind of unusual. Their firstborn was born August 8th of 2008. Their second child was born September 9th of 2009. And you've probably already guessed that their third child was born on October 10th, 2010. So the, the dates of their kids' births are 080808, 090909, and 101010. That is an, just incredible. The odds of that happening, someone calculated, are one in about 50 million. They kind of beat the odds. The, the odds, actually, of, of having uh, quadruplets is actually better than that. A chance of a woman giving birth to living quadruplets is, is 1 in 800,000, we're told. 
But if you were to have identical quadruplets, the odds of that are one in 13 million. Then, of course, there, the, the more children you have, the more extraordinary the odds become. For example, the chances of having surviving sextuplets, can you imagine? Man, just six, six kids at once. Well, the odds of that happening are one in 4.7 billion for sextuplets. But the Guinness World Book of Records is given, uh, the, the honor is given to a couple from California who in January 2009, some of you probably remember this, they, uh, she gave birth to octuplets. That's, that's eight children, eight surviving children, six boys and two girls. Now, I don't know what you think the odds of that might be, but they're astronomical. Somebody did a calculation of it, and it's 1 in 20 trillion, 971 billion, 520 million and some change. Now, I would call that beating, that's beating the odds. However, I still think it's safe to say that the undisputed winner of astronomical odds-beating birth was our Lord Jesus Christ. He fulfilled numerous predictions that were given about his birth well in advance. We've been talking about that. We looked at a few of them over the past couple of weeks uh, when we began this series, Beating the Odds. And we're, we're doing this series because we want everyone, believers and unbelievers alike, to, to dig into God's Word and see that it can be trusted. We noted in the first message that the odds of a person fulfilling just eight of the 300 predictions that Jesus fulfilled was one in 10 to the 17th power. Now today, perhaps the the strangest of all those predictions was that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Now, can I just talk about the odds of that for a minute to a child being born of a virgin? And so you may want to go ahead and open your Bibles to, to Matthew chapter 1. If, if you do that, you'll, you'll notice uh, when you first open to Matthew 1, there's a long list of names that begin the chapter. Now, we're not going to read those. Matthew begins with this genealogy, and he does it because he's, he's wanting to give Jesus messianic credentials. He, he, he's wanting to give Jesus street cred, if you would, of being the, the promised Messiah. He's showing uh, genealogically that Jesus fulfills absolutely everything necessary to fulfill the ancient prophecies. He's from the seed of Abraham, from the tribe of Judah, from the lineage of King David. And in Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, he specifically references several Old Testament predictions of coming Messiah. And the first one is this, uh, that Matthew brings out, is this virgin birth, that there would be a biological miracle, that there would be of Messiah's birth, that the child would be born without the contribution of any human male whatsoever, that he would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that just saying those words out loud in the minds of some people puts me in the category of being a lunatic. People would say, you really believe that stuff? Like literally believe a virgin gave birth? Well, the answer is, yep, I I believe it. I am one of those people, as you might think. Now, I realize there's a lot of controversy around this. I realize people will categorize those of us who believe in the virgin birth. The theologian uh, Millard Erickson said this, Next to the resurrection of Christ, the most debated and controversial event of Jesus' life is the virgin birth. 
Now, don't think that skeptics about this reside only outside the church. I remember years ago, uh, I, I read a book uh, called Late Great Planet Earth. It was back in the 80s when I read it. I'm not necessarily recommending it. It's just one of those books I read. Uh, and the author, Hal Lindsey, he, he, he quoted some statistics that were given in Red Book magazine of a survey that was done of seminary students. And the survey discovered that uh, at that time, 56% of the survey students uh, surveyed did not believe in the virgin birth. These were people preparing for ministry. Well, you got to understand that not only seminarians, but, but Joseph, the stepfather, Joseph, the one who would adopt Jesus as his own, Joseph had a hard time with this. He, he struggles with the issue. He, he eventually has this thought that what I need to do is I need to put Mary away. I need to divorce her privately. And so because of that, in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1, Matthew records this visitation by an angel to Joseph. It says this, but when he, Joseph, had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, I hope you notice a couple of things here. The angels didn't say, you guys are going to have a son. That's not what he said. The angel said, your wife is going to have a son. Mary will, because she has conceived by the presence of the Holy Spirit. You had nothing to do with this, Joseph, as you well know. You, you, you know that. Your job in this is really the easy part. You get to name the child. Mary's going to do the hard work of having the baby. You get to name the baby. But, sorry, Joseph, you don't get to pick the name. The angel said, I'm going to tell you this name because his name is actually his mission. And the name that you're going to give this child will be Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. Again, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 says this. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Speaking of the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I think you'll agree that this is really the ultimate beating the birthing odds ever in the history of all humanity. A virgin birth. So what are the odds, you might ask or, or, or might think? Well, there are no odds. Nobody's going to give odds on that because this is a medical, biological impossibility. It's a supernatural event. Had, it had never been done. It would never happen again after the birth of Christ. But the angel promised a Savior. And see, that's the first purpose of God's plan for the virgin birth. This is the, the, the first part. We're going to look at three purposes today, but the first one was this. The first is the promise of a Savior to save people from sin. That was God's promise. There are going to be two more that we're going to look at. And the first of the purposes is that this virgin birth that was foretold by Isaiah. Now, if we go back to our text in Matthew chapter 1, and I'll have you go to uh, that Isaiah 7:14 passage in a minute. But for now in Matthew 1, you'll notice that a Savior... A Savior is mentioned. A Savior, a savior is, is, is promised. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
You'll call his name Jesus. It's kind of like for or, or because. Because he's going to do his name. He's going to save people from their sins. In other words, his name is his mission. And see, Jesus actually translated means God is salvation. That's what the name Jesus means. That's what he's going to do. He will save people from their sin. Now, I hope you know that. What do we need saving from? Well, the Bible says we need saving from our sin, not, not economic woes. And, of course, in this day and time, we need saving from that, especially now. Some people would say, well, we need saving from negativity or, or from poverty or, or oh, my goodness, for, from disease. But I want you to notice what the promise is. The promise is that he will save humanity from the greatest human infection of all. And God calls it sin. It's, it's, it's a sin a virus. God says it's far more deadly than COVID-19. Uh, the infection rate is everyone. Everyone who's ever been born has, a, has been infected with it. And there's, there's not some man-made vaccine that you can take. Jesus is the only answer for that. Some of you may remember back during Easter when we were talking about Jesus on the cross. The first words that he spoke while on the cross were a prayer. Uh, do you remember what it was? In, in Luke chapter 23, Jesus speaks these words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. They, they, God, they don't know. Now, why, why would you imagine that the first utterance of Jesus' lips on the cross would be this prayer uh, that was uh, about our great need. He, he, he knew our greatest need of all humanity was forgiveness. That was our greatest need. And the greatest need became Jesus' greatest mission as well as his greatest accomplishment, forgiving people of sin. And, and this is, frankly, the reason that many are not interested in Jesus. There are a lot of people that just aren't interested in Jesus because when they think of themselves, they don't think, I, I, I got a sin problem. They don't look at sin being a reality in their lives. And so they think, if I don't have sin as God defines it, then I don't need a Savior as God defines him. You can just kind of see people saying, I'm good. I don't need saving from anything. I'm not weak. I don't, I don't, need, I don't need that kind of crutch. I, I've, I've, I've got it going on myself. So here's the deal. When a person doesn't admit that they've fallen short of the glory of God as a sinful human being, the only thing left for them to do is to reject him. But God has the saving of sinners at the very top of his list. And so when he sent his son into the world, it was on, it was on a rescue mission to save people from their sin. Jesus said this himself. Jesus said in Luke 19, for the Son of Man, that's, that's Jesus himself, another way that he speaks of himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, again, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician. Right now, those who don't have the COVID virus, we don't, we don't necessarily need to be hospitalized. But those who are sick, Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When Jesus was coming to the Jordan River to be baptized as a model for what we should do when we follow him. John 1.29 records John the Baptist pointing at Jesus and saying, Behold, that, that would be kind of like the, uh, the, the, the old way of saying, Hey, man, check this out. 
And he points at Jesus and said, there's the Lamb of God. He's the one that takes away the sin of the world. Time and time again, pointing to Jesus as the one who takes away sin. Later on, when uh, Saul of Tarsus converts to Christianity from, from Judaism, uh, he, he becomes Paul. He, his name was changed by God. And, and he wrote to a, a young man named Timothy about Jesus. He, he wrote these words. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. How many of you have, have seen the Christmas card? Go ahead, raise your hand. I, I can't see you, but raise them anyway. Just if you've, if you've seen this Christmas card, it's one of my favorites. We've gotten it in our house uh, a couple of times over the course of the year. It, it kind of goes like this. If the greatest need of humanity had been information, God would have sent an educator. If the greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If the greatest need had been pleasure, then God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior at Christmas. And that's, that's what the angel is basically saying to Joseph. You're going to call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. See, everyone you've ever met has this deep, just this deep sense that they need forgiveness from, from someone for, for something. Everybody, everybody basically knows it's true. And God knew that it would be humanity's ultimate need. So that's God's plan. The promise of a Savior to save people from their sin. Now, here's what I want you to do where, where you're at. I want you to just take a minute. And, and just record some thoughts, just jot down some thoughts around this truth from, from just coming to know that God promised a Savior to save people from their sins. What can you come to believe about God? What, what, can, you, what can you trust God for, and how could that possibly change your life? Take just a couple of uh, moments and write down some words that you can go back and, and, and unpack later. But just take a moment and kind of journal uh, that out for just a second. I'm going to enjoy a, a hot beverage. I should have brought a Krispy Kreme donut up here, shouldn't I? Okay. God's plan involved the promise of a Savior to save people from their sin. And how God's, how's he going to do that? Well, he's going to do that through the virgin birth. And I hope by the end of our time together today, you understand that the virgin birth is absolutely necessary to solve our greatest dilemma, this, this problem that we have. So there's this promise of a Savior, but then secondly... Second thing I want you to notice is there this prediction that he'd be a son, that he'd be a son. If you go back to, to Matthew 1 and you notice that Matthew quotes this Old Testament passage. He's quoting from Isaiah, a prophet who wrote and predicted over 700 years before Jesus was born. And so uh, I want you to go back to Isaiah 7 if you've already, you know, looked at it. In Isaiah chapter 7, I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. 
says this, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz as a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. So the, the place of the dead or as high as heaven. Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And so here, here's what, Ahaz is the king of Judah, and the, the prophet Isaiah has come to him and said, I want you to ask God for a sign that he's going to keep his word. And, and many of you may think, well, that makes him sound really spiritual. But the truth is, he's not. Look at verse 13. So Isaiah said, Hear then, O Israel, house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, when Isaiah spoke those words, on the horizon, looming kind of political threatening, it was actually a military threat, um, was, was taking place over the people of God known as Israel. Now, let me explain this. There were, kind of think of a map here for a minute. There were, there were two kings that were north of Ahaz who was down in Jerusalem, uh, the capital of Judah. There were two kings in, in, in the north. There was first the king um, Pekah, who was uh, kind of king of the northern tribes of Israel. There was also a king in Damascus, Syria, King Rezin. And they had formed an alliance, and they were actually going to go fight against another king who was even farther north, the king of, of Assyria. It was a superpower that was growing. Assyria was actually kind of about to take over the known world at the time. So these two kings, Pekah and Rezin, they, they formed this kind of alliance to fight against Assyria, and they tried to talk King Ahaz into going along with them to join their coalition. But Ahaz would have nothing to do with it. So these two kings decide, okay, then we're going to attack, attack you. If you're not going to help us, we're going to come and attack you. So Ahaz kind of does an end around them, and he goes and he bribes the king of Assyria. He sends money up to him and says, hey, would you go ahead and attack those two kings now so they, they don't attack me? Well, when that happens, Isaiah comes in as the prophet of God, and he, he says, I just want you to know, Ahaz, God is planning to protect you and protect all of Jerusalem and Judea. He's going to keep you safe. Nothing's going to happen. God's going to protect you from those two kings. And then Isaiah said, okay, just to prove the point, you go ahead and you ask God for a sign. And again, it sounds spiritual. Ahaz says, I'm not going to put God to the test. But what he was truly saying is, I'm not going to trust God. And he's already shown that by his actions of hiring mercenaries to protect him and, and the nation of Judah instead of trusting God to do it. So Isaiah says, okay, fine. You don't ask the Lord for one. God himself is going to give you a sign. And the word here is, for you is plural. It wasn't just for Ahaz. It was for the nation. God's giving, giving the whole nation a sign. And this is when he predicts the virgin birth. Now, Whenever you're reading scripture and you see this word, a sign is given, that phrase, it means something incredibly special is about to happen. Happen. A sign in the scripture means there's a disruption to the natural order of things. It's a supernatural event coming into human history. For instance, the parting of the Red Sea was a sign. Fire falling from heaven, consuming Elijah's sacrifice. That was a sign. A, a miraculous physical healing that Jesus did, raising Lazarus from the dead. Those were all signs. Well, what's the sign here in, in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14? It says this, Behold, 
the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Friends, that is an extraordinary sign. It's a supernatural event when an ultrasound shows a virgin girl with a child. She'd never had any relationships with a man. She's suddenly pregnant. That's a sign in the heavens that something big is going to happen on the earth. The Lord is giving you a sign through a virgin birth. Now, over the years, I've heard people argue about this. And um, I've heard some take the, the, the stand that, well, yeah, virgin births, those are commonplace. They happen all the time. Really? I, come on. And, and what they'll do is they'll point to a scientific kind of fact. It's a biological process called parthenogenesis. And in parthenogenesis, there are creatures that can conceive without fertilization. Uh, It's common among some lower species of animals like insects and even certain species of frogs. And so the skeptic will say, uh, yeah, virgin births happen kind of all the time. It's not so unique. Well, when you think scientifically, really, it is very unique. It does not explain the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And just let me mess with the biology for just a second. Parthenogenesis as a reproductive event can only reproduce genetically identical beings. So what that means is a single frog may be stimulated to reproduce in isolation, but that frog will always only reproduce female frogs. Never male frogs. In other words, the offsprings will be genetically identical to the mother. So what the science tells us is even if Mary could have conceived parthenogenically, she would have had a daughter, never a son. But see, the sign would be that the virgin would conceive and bear a son, a male child. Something impossible unless God was involved. And this sign of the virgin birth is hinted, I believe, all the way back to the book of Genesis. It's the first messianic prophecy back in Genesis 3.15. It says this, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, that's a male, shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him, again, a male, on the heel. I believe this was a prophetic word about Jesus. It was supernatural. Now, here's, here's what I want you to notice that's supernatural about um, the Genesis 3.15 passage. It says, her seed. Biologically, when you talk about seed, it doesn't normally come from the woman. It comes from the man. But you have to have a virgin birth for that to biologically occur. And it's unfolded again for us when the angel visits Mary to announce the coming, the birth of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, the Holy Spirit, the the angel came to Mary and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And the angel, you know, said to Joseph earlier in Matthew 1, we read it. The child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. 
you shall call his name Jesus. So friends, this is not, this is not some type of scientific lab-stimulated parthenogenesis. If anything, this is pneumogenesis. This is, this is spirit control. This is, it's spirit-breathed. It's supernatural. It's, it's, it's miraculous. Now that passage in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that's quoted by Matthew, uh, has been controversial. Not only in scientific circles, but in theological circles. And that's because once that virgin birth uh, of of that child takes place, it's going to have a a designation. It's going to be known as something incredible. Emmanuel, which means God with us. So as you might expect, modern Jewish scholars, in order to deny Jesus, deny the virgin birth. And deny that Isaiah chapter 7 has anything to do with a messianic prophecy. They just say, no, that's not what it says, and that's not what it's about. Now, you may remember last week I told you about modern Jewish scholars, how they say that when Messiah comes, he's just going to be an ordinary human being. He's not going to be like God with skin on. He's, he's not going to be born of a virgin. There's not going to be any miracles. He's just, he's just going to be a really, really good, really bright human being. But if you look at Isaiah seven fourteen, you have to ask this question. Okay, if that's not about Messiah, well, then who's it about? Because if you're going to ascribe that statement to any normal human being, it would be almost ridiculous. I mean, think about it. A virgin is going to conceive and bear a son, and you're going to call him God with us. Now, if you were with us last week, you may not be surprised to learn that Earlier Jewish sources going back hundreds, even thousands of years, ascribed to Isaiah 7 that this is a messianic prediction. The Jewish rabbis of old believed that it was a prediction of the coming Messiah. So when you, when you go closer back to when this was originally given, the consensus among Jewish scholars is that this passage in Isaiah 7 is a messianic message. In fact, the, the, the ancient rabbis did, what they did was they tied Isaiah seven fourteen together with Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And you'll recognize this, this passage again a lot at Christmas. It says, for uh, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Ancient Jewish scholars tied Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9 together. They they, they pulled these together. All, All of the ancient Jewish sources actually did this. Also, just uh, 50 to 100 years before Jesus was born, uh, there were some Jewish books written that became known as the Psalter uh, of Solomon. They were kind of like some, some Jewish songs, if you would. And the commentary on Isaiah, the passages that we're looking at, said this, and this is a quote from that Psalter. It says, He is the king who reigns in the house of David. He is the son of David who comes at that time known to God only to rule and to reign over Israel. He is the Christ, the Lord. He is pure from sin. He will bring his people the blessing of restoration and judge the nations who will be subject to his rule and behold his own glory. Now that's, that's what the Jewish sources said about Jesus 
quoting their own Old Testament passages uh, and, and said this is what they meant. But then something happened. And here's what it was. Jesus was born. He was born of a virgin. The church said this. They, they taught this. And as soon as that happened, Jewish rabbis began this argument, and it's an argument that's still prevalent today. And here's the argument. This is what they said about their own scriptures. They said, well, that, that phrase, behold, a virgin shall conceive, that the word that's actually used there in the original Hebrew is the word alma. And the, word, the Hebrew word alma doesn't just mean virgin. Sometimes it means a young girl. And so that's how they try to slip around this, is it, pretending, you know, it's not just a, a prediction of a virgin. It could be, it, it says a young girl will, will conceive. Now, if you study that and you're a thinking person, you got to ask the question, well, then how is that a sign? You know, how could that possibly be a sign? I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous to say, you know, here's a sign from God. A young girl is going to get pregnant and have a son. You know how many times that happened yesterday? 180,000 approximately. 180,000 sons were born on, on planet Earth. You know how many times that's going to happen today? About 180,000. It, it, it's, it's ridiculous to say that that's, hey, that's a sign. It's like, you know, the parting of the, 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 the Red Sea or the raising of the it, it, See, I, want, I, I got to point to one more thing, just one more kind of historical thing. And it's actually... The Jewish translation of the Old Testament Bible, it's famous. It's called the Septuagint. Some of you may have heard of the Septuagint. Um, and, and, and it's simply this. It's a translation into the Greek language from the Hebrew Old Testament Bible. It's a very famous translation. Somewhere around 280 B.C., the, the Jews began realizing that people, their people aren't speaking Hebrew anymore. They're all speaking Greek. And they, just, they were afraid that the Jewish scriptures were going to be lost to common people if they didn't translate it in the language that people were using so that they could understand the meanings of the Holy Scriptures. So when they got to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, in order to translate the phrase, the virgin shall conceive, the Greek word they chose to translate that Hebrew word alma that, you know, modern day scholars say you can translate it this way or that way. The, the, the translators back then chose the Greek word parthenos or parthenos. And, and, and that Greek word parthenos can only only, solely, strictly refer to a virgin girl. Not a young woman and a virgin or a, or a virgin girl. So what does that tell you? Well, I know what it tells me. It tells me that the best and the brightest Jewish scholars, when they were wanting to capture the beauty and the power and the strength of God's word, they understood what the true meaning was and they used this word specifically. Now, modern Jewish scholars might say, oh, it doesn't mean that. It means, you know, just a young woman. Well, here's the deal. The translators of the Septuagint, those brightest minds of that day, would beg to differ. They would tell you it only means, it can only be translated as a virgin. Now, some of you are saying, Joe, why are, why are you beating this horse to death? You know, why, why are you going after this so hard? Because it is so important that as followers of Jesus, as believers in the Word of God, trying to trust it, that we understand that it's a miraculous sign. It's a supernatural birth, and that's how it was understood. Because there's this promise of a Savior. It's part of God's big plan. There's this prediction that He'd be a son, not by accident. 
So before I give you the third point this morning, I want you to take a couple of minutes and maybe just journal out from, from this truth, knowing that God went through all this work to bring this about. What does this tell you you can believe about God? And once believing that, trusting that, how will it change the way you live? Take, take just a couple of minutes and jot down some words, some notes, some phrases that you can go back and unpack in a moment or later today. So God's purposes that we see unfolding in this plan of the virgin birth, the the first purpose was that he would send a savior. The second was that he would be a son, and not just any son, but the very son of God. And that third, he would be the provision of the solution. Not a solution, but he would be the provision of the solution. Remember, I, I said to you earlier in, in this message that God said he's going to save people from their sin through this promised one, this one born of a virgin, and that he was going to do that through this virgin birth. Now, why? Because the virgin birth, you know, is, is perfect because it's a child who is both human and divine. He's human in that he's born through the womb of Mary. He's divine because he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's a, he's a son who was born, but he is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is both. That's the meaning of what Isaiah 9 was all about. Unto us, a child is born, a son is given. His name will be Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the one that's going to come and rule, the Scripture says. So why do an entire message on the virgin birth? Well, here, number one is, because it's part of this series of beating the odds of looking at these Old Testament prophecies pointing to Jesus that firm up our faith and strength in both Old Testament and New Testament. But secondly, and here, friends, this one is as important. If Jesus had not been born of a virgin, if Jesus Christ was born like every other human being, then he wouldn't be God. And if he's not God, then all of his claims are lies. Because Jesus claimed to be God. Even his enemies would say you're constantly making yourself to be God. And so if he's not born of a virgin, he's not God. And if he's not God, his claims are false. And if his claims are false, then guess what? Christianity, your salvation, it's all a sham. It's all a hoax. It's, It's good for nothing. But because the scriptures say it will be the virgin born son of God. He will be. He will come. He will die. He will be raised from death. And so it's absolutely essential that he be born of a virgin. There's, he's the perfect solution to our biggest problem. Because he, as man, he's the perfect representative of us. And as God, he's the perfect sacrifice for us. Because he was the, the, the sinless person. He, he represents us and he can be the sacrifice for us in, in the presence of God. So think of it this way. This is how I think of it. That when Jesus was on the cross... 
he had his hand stretched out, we know. And one of those hands, he could take the hand of Father God. And with the other hand, he could reach out and pull us. And the Bible says that through his blood, we were redeemed. That the price, the price was paid. Jesus drew God and man together, reconciled us. But here's one last thing that the, birth, the virgin birth does. It overcomes not only our sin problem, but it overcomes a sovereignty problem. And this is it. Just bear with me real quickly. I'm going to run through this. I don't know if you know this, but the line of David, the dynastic kingly line of David, eventually got cursed by God. If you don't believe me, look it up. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 30. This is concerning the royal line. One of the kings at that time named Jeconiah, he was the direct descendant of the royal line of King David. In Jeremiah 22, 30, this is what the Lord says. Let the record show that this man, Jeconiah, was childless. He is a failure, for none of his children will succeed him on the throne of David to rule over Judah. And and this is actually what happened. After Jeconiah, none of his offspring ever sat on the throne. An uncle actually took over to kind of run as the, the kingly line from David. And so there was this problem. A Messiah was going to come through the lineage of David. How, 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 would this, how, how can it happen now? Well, I'm glad you asked. People wonder uh, about this all the time when they look at uh, Matthew and Luke and see two completely different genealogies. Why, why are they different? People think that something must be wrong. Well, one is the, the, the genealogy of Mary. The other is the genealogy of Joseph. Joseph's genealogy goes back through to that kingly line, which proves that Jesus had the right to rule. When Joseph adopted Jesus, he gave him the legal right to be the ruler, the king. Mary, on the other hand, is traced back to Solomon through a child, Nathan. I mean, not through Solomon, through, through David, not through Solomon, through uh, another of David's children, Nathan. And it's important because that overcomes this sovereignty problem. See, God in his sovereignty looked at this wicked king, Jeconiah, and said, this ends. This ends today. But God still had to bring about this birth. And the way that he solved that problem, our sin problem, and this sovereignty problem was 2,000 years ago. God beat those odds, those odds that he created himself through the virgin birth. It was part of God's plan all along to save us, to save the whole world from that infectious disease known as sin. Now, it's marvelous to me, and I hope to you, to look at the intricacies of the plan that God would bring about so that his son will fulfill ancient prophecy while simultaneously getting around the curse that he brought to punish an evil king. Now, why go through all of that? Because that's how much God loves you. He loves you that much. God would go to any length to bring you a savior so that you could be saved from your sin. Probably the best known verse in all of Scripture is John three sixteen, and I want to end with this today. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Maybe later on you want to journal about that and think about that and unpack that for your own life. But I want us to, I want us to pause now and, and pray together. So join me as we pray. Father, we we come 
we come to give thanks to you that your word is so reliable. Father, that words that you gave 700 years before the virgin birth of your son, telling that it would happen, speaking of the coming Messiah that would save us from our sin. God, your word never returns void. It always does everything you accomplish. God, thank you for that. Thank you for proving that to us once again so that we can trust every word in your holy word, the Bible, so that we could build our lives upon it. We can trust it, God, so that when we face storms like we're in right now, when we face difficulty and when we face suffering, your word tells us that you were with us to deliver us. Your word tells us that all things work together for, for good to those who love you and are called according to your prayer. We can trust those words as well. Father, sear this into our souls that your word is worthy of our trust. Because God, we need you now. We need to be able to trust you like never before. Father, I think of some right now who's whose finances are just decimated, don't know how they're going to face tomorrow. But your word tells us, for your people, you never leave us, forsake us. God, you're, for, for some right now who are battling disease, God, your, your word tells us that you are the God who heals your people. So God, we come to you, we bring you our struggles. Because we believe, Jesus, that you are the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're the one who can overcome all of those things because you can overcome our greatest problem, which is the sin that separates us from your Father. And all of those other promises make no difference unless you've trusted God for your eternal salvation. And so maybe today, right where you're at, for the very first time, you just want to bow your head and pray, Jesus, save me. The Bible says if you call on the name of the Lord with a heart that is repentant, that no longer trusts yourself, but trusts only Him, the Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And you can do that right there in the privacy of your own home. Maybe if you're with family, you could just tell them, right now I want to trust Jesus. I want to receive Him as my Lord and Savior. And just pray, Jesus, come in. Jesus, save me from my sins. Jesus, I believe you. Most of us, what we need to do is just reignite our love for Jesus by trusting Him. Realizing that He's beautiful, He's wonderful, He's awesome, but He's, he's worthy of all of our trust. And the way that Jesus spells trust or the way that Jesus spells love is T-R-U-S-T. So if you want to prove your love to Jesus, trust Him. Trust His Word. Don't live in fear but trusting. Jesus, we come now expressing that we love you by trusting you. Oh, Jesus, we love you. Rekindle our trust that you were with us. It's in your name we pray. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.